amazing. Well, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing this morning? It's great to see a bunch of smiling faces. I'm not going to... Does everybody know it's Halloween? I don't have... There's no kids who came in with their costumes. I was a little disappointed, I'm not going to lie. Carter Andrews used to do that when he was little and seeing him in a Spider-Man costume just, just to lift my heart. But uh, that's all right. That's all right. I understand, you, you know. Um, so anyway, for those that don't know me, my name is Mike Sells, and I am the Director of Adult Ministry and Discipleship, and I'm giving the sermon today. Andrew is still off, and uh, so welcome for those that are in attendance, but also those that are watching on Facebook. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, I want to start off today by telling a little story. I've already got some happy customers. <laughs> That's great. Um, about a year and a half ago, I was, I was really thinking a lot about uh, first century Jews. I was working on an act study, and I wanted to dive into you know, not only how, are the, how the early Christians acted, but also how the first century Christians uh, acted and worshipped. And it came upon this YouTube channel, um, and it was, it's called Yahweh's Restorative Ministry. And within this YouTube channel, I saw some, and was, saw some ideas that I hadn't come across before, some ideas that were foreign to me, and I will go so far as to say some ideas that, that scared me a little bit. You see, what's interesting about this channel is they don't make any claims about being Christian but they don't make any claim about being Jewish either. Their claims are this, all right? On the channel, it says that they believe in the Old and the New Testament. That theology lines up with mine. They believe in obedience to the Word. That lines up to mine. And they believe in faith in the Messiah, and they believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And I'm like, it kind of checks all the boxes, does it? So I wanted to check out some of these videos. Now, what's unique about these people is that they kind of have some unique and they incorporate some Jewish traditions into what I would call their Christian theology. All right? They observe the seven annual Jewish feasts, which include Passover and the Feast of the Tabernacles, where is a bunch of others. They also observe the seventh day uh, Sabbath, which means they uh, worship on Saturday as opposed to Sunday like our Jewish brothers and sisters. So now... When I was watching some of these videos, a bunch of questions arised. Now, for me personally, I like to question my faith. I like to question why we do things, because for me, it helps me grow in my faith. Now, the questions were raised for me were this. So one, if Jesus was a Jew, why don't we celebrate Jewish holidays? All right. If first century Christians were a sect of Judaism, why don't we celebrate Passover? If first century Christians worshipped in the synagogues, why don't we ever worship with our brothers and sisters? Now, I will tell you right off the bat, I didn't find any answers to these questions. <laughs> I was so worried about this sermon, I really couldn't dive into it. I couldn't spend any more time on that. Now, the easy answer, I think, is that we don't do that because we're Christians, right? We're Christians. We're not Jews. In fact, we're not even Jewish converts. We're what's called Gentiles. Sorry. Now, my hope for you today, my only hope for you today is just to think, all right? Think about what I say. Try and keep an open heart and an open mind and maybe pray about some of the things I'm going to say. Because here's the thing. 
What I'm going to be talking about today is something far different than we might have ever heard from the pulpit. Now, this Roman study has been hard, has it been? Anybody has it been hard for anybody out there? All right, I visited with a bunch of you. I visited with people in the small groups, and some people have actually said it's tougher than the Revelation study we did uh, in the spring. Now, uh, I've heard from many of you that small group questions have been difficult, and I've heard that sometimes the conversation's kind of lacking. And I want to be honest with you, if you want to blame somebody, you can blame me because I wrote those questions. <laughs> now, I often forget about younger believers. I often forget that we're not all in the same place in our discipleship walk. I forget about those who were new to the church. And humbly, I do want to ask for your forgiveness because I don't feel like I'm meeting the needs of younger believers. But I want you to know something. In the next few months, myself and the leadership team are going to be working on some things so that we can meet people at different stages of their discipleship pathway and, and in their walk. All right? We're going to work on becoming better as a church to meeting people at different levels because I know that some of those questions are hard and not everybody is able to answer some of those questions. I know what's been tough. Over the last few weeks, we've, already, we've, we've talked about free will and predestination, right? Tough subjects. Right, we've talked about salvation through faith and salvation through works. Really, really tough. We've talked about how the Holy Spirit is supposed to work in our lives. Super tough. Now today, we're going to be talking about Israel. Pretty tough. Now, the title of my sermon is The Little Limb That Could. All right, cool. I'm feeling a little childlike today. It's Halloween after all, so I had to come up with a quirky title. Um, but I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to focus my sermon on Israel. And in particular, we're going to focus on the last part of chapter 11. All right, so open up your Bibles or you can look up on the screens. And we're going to start in Romans 11, verses 11 through 16. All right. Mine is the NIV version, and it's, the title is called Ingrafted Branches. Again, I ask, did they, meaning did the Jewish people or the Israelites, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And Paul says, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, or we can say because of their sin, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But, there's a big but there, if their sin or if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion be? I am talking to you, Gentiles. He's talking to us. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope, in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection, meaning if their rejection of unbelief, their rejection of Jesus Christ, brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so then are the branches. Okay, so let's dissect that out. 
Paul starts these verses by saying that one of the reasons the Gentiles are increasing in numbers is to make the Israelites jealous. Crazy, right? It was in their transgression, it was in their sin of unbelief in Jesus that opened the door for us. Paul's mission, the whole reason he was brought into ministry by God was to become the voice to the Gentiles. In verse 16, he says that he hopes that somehow he's going to arouse his people to envy the Gentiles. And why? So that they may be saved. You see, the thing about Paul was he cared a lot about his people. And his people were the Israelites, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. In fact, I'm going to go so far to go back a little bit. In Romans 9.3, Paul says that, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, those of my own race. Paul is saying he would rather go to hell if the Israelites would be saved. All right? The salvation of the Jews was heavy on Paul's heart. It cannot be understated enough that one of the reasons Romans was written was to make the Jewish people envious of salvation, to make them turn to Jesus. You see, first century Christians, check this out, were a sect of Judaism. Now, I know we've heard that before, right? But I want to shed some light on that. They were called followers of the way, okay? They believed the Messiah had finally come. They believed that the day of the Lord had come. Now, in Christianity, we have a lot of sects, right? We have Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, Baptists. Well, Judaism is very similar, all right? They had the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes, and they had the way, all right? They had the followers of, the, the followers of Jesus Christ. They believed that the Messiah had come. And Paul, we know about the story of him on his road to Damascus, he was blinded by God and then healed to begin this ministry. Now, why did Paul's ministry begin? It's because the Jewish people who had the first opportunity to believe didn't. And God said, because of their unbelief, I'm going to anoint you, Paul, who was a Pharisee, to become the voice to the Gentile people. Now, in many ways, the book of Romans can be considered a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for one, for the Jewish people to believe. But, as we're going to get into, it's also a wake-up call to us and to the Jewish people at the time in Romans. Because here's the thing. Romans 1, verse 16, God brings salvation to everybody. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now Paul is saying in Romans 10 and 11, Gentiles don't forget something. Our Jewish brothers and sisters are God's elect. God chose the Israelites. He brought them out of slavery. He brought them so they would share God's glory to the world. He chose the Israelites to, so that his son Jesus would come out of their lineage. And God also chose the Israelites to be saved. But they didn't. Just like what happens throughout history, the Jews turned their backs on God. They didn't see Jesus for who he was. Now in these verses, Paul is saying, 
wake up, Jews, because if your unbelief is going to mean death to you. But he's also saying, wake up, Gentiles. You who are in Rome, stop pretending that you are better than the Jewish people because God chose the Israelites first. He chose them to be saved. Now here's where it starts to get interesting, and I really thank Brenda for what she did up here. She, she started off and painted a great picture. Now let's go into Romans 11, 17 to 21. And here's where we talked about the ingrafted roots in God's tree. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, the Gentiles, though a wild olive shoot had been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, who is Jesus, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, they were, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, meaning the Israelites, he will not spare you either. Woo. Paul uses the analogy of an olive tree. He says that the Israelites are the olive tree, but that some of the branches have been broken off. Now, why were those branches broken off? It's because God came in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and they did not believe. And God said, here I am, and you didn't believe. He took his holy chainsaw and did some work. Cut him off. But you Gentiles, you were a wild shoot. Not even part of the original tree, but you were grafted in, and now you share in that nourishing sap of the olive roots. Now, it's kind of a tough analogy, so I want to spend just a second talking about the basics of tree grafting, which I knew nothing about until about 10 o'clock last night. All right, so bear with me. Okay, I'm going to use the analogy of a fruit tree. Let's say you have a fruit tree, maybe it's an apple tree, that's getting too big. All right? When apple trees get too big, the fruit's at the top, and, uh, and it doesn't produce a lot of fruit. All right, so what do you do is you cut off the branches. Whoosh just like God did, cut off some branches. And then what you do is on the flat branch, you peel back the bark just a little bit. And then you take another branch, all right, the one you want to graft in, we're going to say the Gentile church, and you whittle it down into a wedge of bare wood. And then you graft it in there, you weasel it down between the wood and the bark, and over time, that new grafted branch becomes part of the tree. All right? Paul is saying that we weren't part of God's original tree. We were a wild and unhealthy shoot. We didn't get any sun. We sat in the shade of God's tree. Our roots were shallow. And here's the thing. We wouldn't have survived on our own. For the wages of sin is death. And until we believed in Jesus Christ, we would not be saved. But... Because some of the Israelites turned away, we were allowed to be grafted in. And why? Why does the grafted tree get put into the real tree? To bear fruit. We, Gentile people, are the new fruit of God's tree. 
But Paul rebukes the Gentiles. He rebukes our branch. He says, don't get too cocky, right? That tree's been around for centuries. You've only been around a few decades. That tree was given the prophets. That tree was given the law. That tree was given the patriarchs. That tree was given baptism. What? That tree was given the Messiah. Think about that for a second. If we just look at baptism, it was a Jewish ritual of purification. Now, the biggest part of that ritual was confession of sin, repentance for rebelling, and recommitting to God. We follow Jesus' example because John the Baptist did it. But have we taken that other step to realize that it was actually a Jewish tradition that we adopted? We have become part of the Israelite Jewish family tree. Now, the older I get, the more interested I am in family history, right? I'm really interested in, like, uh, the family tree. I really want to know, like, my great-great-great-grandfather's name. I want to know what my great-great-great-grandfather did for a living, all right? I want to know my roots the older I get. And in God's tree, the tree that was like 2,000 years old at the time that this was written, you know, we're talking about Abraham to Jesus, right? The Jewish and the Israelite church, was that tree was 2,000 years old. And we were but a few decades. And yet already, the Gentile part of the branch was already feeling superior. Now let's go on into verses 23 through 24. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, meaning the Israelites who didn't believe, but kindness to you, the Gentiles, provided, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you're going to be cut off as well. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted back into this cultivated and old olive tree, how much readily will these, the natural branches, the Israelites, be grafted into their own olive tree? Ouch! Paul rebukes the Gentiles again. He says, we better keep on believing or I'm going to cut you off as well. And guess what? If the Israelites start believing, how easily will I be able to put them back into my tree? If that branch of God's tree that was cut off turns back to him, check this out. If the Israelites start to believe in Jesus, how easily will they be admitted back into the family tree? Now, 25 through 27 reads, all, the heading is, all of Israel will be saved. Think about that. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part, in part, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer, Jesus Christ, will come from Zion, the Israelite nation, and will turn godlessness away from Jacob, meaning the Israelites. This is not the happiest sermon today. <laughs> and it's maybe not easiest to believe. 
But just as Romans chapter 11 isn't really one of the happiest either, Paul, in writing this, would wanted to tell the Gentiles not to become conceited. But he also wanted to tell the Jewish people, you have to believe. I want you to think about this for a second. When heaven and earth come together, when Christ comes back, something really cool is going to happen. Beyond getting to see Jesus, which is going to be pretty darn cool, all right, we're also going to see great uncle Ezekiel and great aunt Hagar. All right? Now, maybe not those two people directly, but we are going to see our Jewish brothers and sisters who have been converted. Jewish brothers and sisters who have come to accept Christ. And Paul's going to be there, Jew. Peter's going to be there, Jew. And tons of followers of the way from our first century Christian brothers. When Christianity started, it was but just a sect of Judaism. We were Jews in the sect called the Way. First century Christians observed Passover. They observed the Feast of the Tabernacle. And I'm going to tell you, as I told you before, I did not find answers to my original question on why we don't observe those holidays. It's even more unclear why early first century Christians sought their own identity and broke away from our Jewish family. Or it could be vice versa. It could be the Jews that broke away from us. But here's the thing. I don't think God cares. I don't think he cares whose fault it was. And I wouldn't be doing my job as a preacher if I didn't remind you of this message. We wouldn't be doing our job if from time to time we didn't talk about God's olive tree. And us as a grafted branch. And as us, we cannot be conceited. Now here's something really, really cool. Once Something that's interesting is that sometimes the grafted part of the tree saves the tree. All right, let me say that again. Sometimes the grafted part saves the tree. And I'm going to give you an example. In the mid-1800s, France lost 40% of their grapevines. It was called the Great French Wine Blight. And at the time, the French people were the biggest producers of wine in the world. But what happened was they had a bug that came and injected venom into the vines and killed the root system of the grapevines. 40% of the grapevines in France killed. And as they started to investigate it, they noticed something. They noticed that the same bug didn't affect American varieties of grapevines. So what did the French do is they started importing American wine, American grapes, and grafting them in to their French varieties. And the bug left them alone, and the vine started to grow. Guess what? The grafted part saved the fruit. The grafted part saved the branch. The grafted part saved the trunk. Now, if the best way for us to bless Israel is the best way for us to bless everybody. We can save the tree by giving them Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? We can spread the news of forgiveness and love 
so that the tree can be saved. If the greatest gift we can give somebody is Jesus, we should be giving it to our Jewish brothers and sisters. Paul's saying we cannot grow our own tree because our faiths are intertwined with our Jewish brothers and sisters. We only have to go back into spring and revelation to remember two things. One, new heaven and new earth. Where is it going to be? Right over Israel. And do we remember the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel? Those are converted Jews. Jesus does not come back. We do not get a new heaven and two earth until our Jewish brothers and sisters are saved. Now, don't get me wrong. Only God saves. We know that. Only salvation through Jesus Christ. But we can preach that good news. We can preach that gospel. And when I mean we, I mean the universal church as well as the local church. I'm going to be honest with you. As I was writing this sermon, I realized I don't think I know a single Jewish person. That was kind of convicting to me. I got some work to do. Now, all I'm asking of you this week is this. I want you to consider this message. We all can't start an evangelism. I doubt any of us are going to start running to the synagogues, preaching the gospel. <laughs> That's scary. But let's take some baby steps. Let's think about our brothers and sisters, our Jewish brothers and sisters. Let's pray for them in our individual time, in our group time. Let's pray for the nation of Israel. God still loves them. He loves everybody. But right now they're in disbelief. They're in unbelief. They don't know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. They are part of the same family tree. And I just want you to consider that this week. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today with praise on our lips, thanksgiving in our hearts. We thank you for our family tree, and we ask that you instill into us a desire to meditate on, to pray for, and to preach the gospel to our Jewish brothers and sisters. We know that by faith alone we're saved, and we rejoice in the joy of your salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you all please stand for your benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you, and may he be gracious to you. Go now and meditate on our Jewish brothers and sisters. Amen.